Poor Sue, I am glad we found each other. Mystery, Indiana It was the summer of 75, a time of killer sharks at the movies, Alice Cooper's Nightmare, and Star Trek, a technical manual. None of which really appealed to me, but then I wasn't part of the pop culture in crowd. Fortunately, I wasn't alone. My empty wallet and I spent the summer at the city beach with my similarly disinterested friends, smoking cigarettes, guzzling Mountain Dew, and bantering with ogling the local girls kind enough to model the latest J.C. Penny swimwear. It doesn't take much to make a 17-year-old boy happy. One of the only teeny boppers not vying for attention was a self-imposed outcast sitting alone under a large oak tree nearby. Wearing a faded sundress, a weathered straw hat, and open-toed sandals, her large, almond-shaped green eyes were buried in a copy of the National Enquirer she had cradled in her lap. She was red-haired, she was beautiful, and she was devastatingly mysterious. Her name was Kira. Being the ladies' man of our motley crew, which should tell you something about our crew, I gathered the courage to strike up a conversation about, of all things, the weather, which at the beach in the middle of summer is not exactly the most scintillating subject. I was a kid, give me a break. But somehow I managed to seg you into who was somebody and who wasn't in the music business, and anything else I could think of that would keep her away from that tabloid rag. It was like a juggling high-wire act. I was constantly in danger of falling, but somehow always managed to keep my balls in the air. She was interested, or at least pretending so. Deep down, I guess, I knew that she was just being nice. But that was good enough for me. It would have been good enough for anyone. The more she hung on my words, the less I felt like a dork, and the more I felt like the lady killer I aspired to be. By the end of that day, and over the next several weeks, it was as though I'd known her forever. Her voice was music, angelic and softer than silk. Yet from that first moment, I sensed a great sadness. She exuded an undertone of weariness and despair as if some tragedy in her past had irreparably damaged her very soul. Her eyes seemed to bear the weight of a millennium's tears. They were as green as the rich green grass beneath her feet, and sparkled like emeralds. But when she felt threatened, they darkened to dull obsidian-like the sad version of a broken china doll. It was in those eyes I first glimpsed the vastness of her pain. It was in those eyes I saw my destiny. She was bright and hopeful and dark and endlessly deep. She was fire and ice and everything in between, and I held her gaze, felt the coldness of her touch, and listened to her sadness. I loved her from the moment I saw her. Then she vanished like a ghost. It happened a lot in one's youth, friends and girlfriends both coming and going as routinely as one would brush their teeth or drink their morning coffee. Young love or infatuation, as my mother would have called it, was just part of growing up back in those days, and done so much more innocently than the generations that followed my own. But the hurt, the genuine heartache, was still there, just the same, and especially when the object of your affections had seemed to have vanished without a trace.
At that moment, all thoughts of considering myself the ladies' man of our motley crew had vanished as well, and I was left with a mystery, one I intended to solve regardless of the risk to life and limb, or to my curfew. To me, this was so much more than a simple case of infatuation or puppy love. It was a mission, one to find a ghost, a supernaturally beautiful ghost, that would come back to haunt me in my dreams for many years to come.